Today's word of the day is... Confute. Definition, prove a person or an assertion to be wrong. All right, this is an oldie but a goodie. You ready for this one? Little Johnny's in math class, and the teacher says, Little Johnny, you got five doves up on the telephone wire. You shoot one of those doves off, how many be left? He says, Teach, that's easy. There'd be none left. You shoot one of them off, the other four would fly away. She says, Well, the correct answer would be four, but I like the way you're thinking. He's like, All right, Teach, I got one for you. There's three ladies sitting on the park bench. They're all having an ice cream cone. One of the ladies is licking the ice cream off the side. One of the other ladies is biting the ice cream off the top. And the other lady, she's sucking the ice cream off the top. Now, which one of these ladies is Mary? Teacher gets red in the face and she smiles. She said, probably the lady that was sucking it off the top. He says, well, teach, the correct answer is the one with the wedding ring. But I like the way you're thinking. (laughs) Daily reminder, if you only knew what people said in your absence... You would stop smiling with a lot of people. People give themselves an excuse all the time when they say he's built different. Well, if you mean he gets up earlier, he stays later. He does stuff for others. He asks questions. He's humble. He works really hard when no one's around. Then, yeah, he's built different. You wake up earlier than people. You stay later than people. You stay humble. You work harder than anyone when no one's there. I guarantee someone that feels bad about themselves soon will label you as he's built different. He's built different should be your label because people feel bad about themselves. You're setting the example every single day of your life. If you're going to have a true dope mentality, you're going to wake up every day and grind. You don't want to go run? You go run. You don't want to go swim? You go swim. You don't want to study? You can study. That's how you start to callous your mind. It's going to suck. It's not going to be fun. Do something that sucks every single day of your life. That's how you grow. When something sucks, good. It's going to make me tougher. It's going to give me a good story to tell. So bring it. Learn to bring that savage mentality out of yourself. The animalistic motherfucker. You think a savage gives a fuck about how he feels or how she feels? Then just do it. Stop looking for a feeling to control what goes on in your life. Greatness is not something that you meet once. It's something that you meet thousands of f***ing times in your life. And you don't reach it if you're not constantly in constant f***ing pursuit of greatness. Some of you are not successful because you think effort is success. You think because you put in 40 hours that you're supposed to get some because you put in 40. It don't work like that in the school of hard knocks. They don't care how many hours you put. They just want to see the execution. So you feeling in your spirit like, yo, but I did just as much as he did. I studied just as much as he studied. It doesn't matter. You just got to execute. Lazy people do a little work and think they should be winning. Work as hard as possible and still worry if you're being lazy. A true dog mentality is not enough you made to the NFL. Be the fucking MVP. It's not enough you made a 5K. Win a 10K. It's not enough you became a doctor. Be a better doctor. It's not enough you lost 50 pounds. Go out there and do something with it. And you gotta get to the point where no other human wants it for you more than you want it for you. Are you willing to sprint when the distance is unknown? And why chase this thing called winning? The only one that can make it happen for you is you. It's you against you out there. You have to think I am the best guy out there. You want to be uncommon amongst uncommon people. You got to be the one to get up every morning, be disciplined, put in the consistent.
consistent daily hard work because that gains success. It's always you versus you. Worry about yourself, worry about what you're doing, and worry about where you're going and only where you're going to be your best self. You're going to do whatever it takes. Do you hear me? You're going to go your own way. You're going to do what they won't do. You're going to be smart, and you are going to win. You're after the peace and the happiness and the pride that comes with knowing exactly what the f*** you're made of. A true hunter's goal is not the prize. A true hunter's goal is to hunt. That's what they live for. They live to hunt. They don't just live to catch it. It's the whole process. When nobody knows what you're doing, when you put in those extra reps, it's the process that makes you sweet. I'm telling you that you got to be possessed with the vision. I don't care if I win. I just want to keep coming after you. You're going to knock down whatever that rock is that's been between you and your dreams. You're going to keep after. You're going to be relentless. You're not going to give in. You're going to be the person who stays excited until the entire job gets done, until that dream is real. And you know long term, all these other people, they're going to flinch, they're going to get weak, and you won't. Clark. The federal judge appointed by former President Trump's appointed a retired New York judge, Raymond Deary, to serve as special master to review all items seized by the FBI during its August raid on the former president's home in Florida. The judge also denied the Justice Department's request to lift a hold on its investigation into classified records. As ABC's Andrew Fujii says, the former president told the radio show that while he does not expect to be indicted, saying any indictment would not keep him from running for president. Speaking on the Hugh Hewitt radio show, Trump said he does not expect to face any charges. If it happened, I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. But when pressed, he would not elaborate on what problems. A day after sending two flights with about 50 migrants to the Massachusetts island of Martha's Vineyard, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said every community in America should be sharing in the burdens and shouldn't all fall on a handful of red states. He put the blame on the Biden administration for its handling of the border as Massachusetts State Representative Dylan Fernandez, a Democrat whose district includes Martha Vin Martha's Vineyard, told ABC. That's pure cowardice. There's nothing tough about using women and children for your own political gain. Ron DeSantis is, is a coward. President Biden said what Republicans were doing was simply wrong and un-American. He'll meet today with the families of basketball star Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, both of whom remain in custody in Russia. Meanwhile, Ukrainian forces are recapturing territory that was once held by Russia and some grisly discoveries. And the town of Izium was once, as ABC's Tom Sufi Burge in Ukraine. A Ukrainian official telling ABC News that investigators have discovered a mass burial site in the city with more than 400 bodies. President Zelensky confirming the discovery, saying investigations are ongoing. You're listening to ABC News. In Cardiff, Wales, King Charles making his last stop on his tour of the four countries that make up Great Britain. He's at a service with his wife, the Queen Consort Camilla. Meanwhile, in London, British officials have temporarily closed the line for mourners waiting to see the coffin of Queen Elizabeth. ABC's Inez de la Catara has more. Thousands patiently waiting to pay their respects to Britain's longest reigning monarch. Inside Westminster Hall, Queen Elizabeth II lying in state until Monday's funeral, viewing open 24 hours a day. 
In line, we meet Nicola and Mattia, who still have a few hours to go. About four hours? Yeah, I think we've got about three hours left. The line stretching along the River Thames, reaching close to five miles at one point. And officials this morning said the line would be closed for at least six hours. An anesthesiologist is under arrest, accused of tampering with IV bags at Baylor Surgicare in North Dallas. Federal investigators say Dr. Reynaldo Ortiz was injecting drugs that caused cardiac emergencies into the bags and that he was not using the bags during his surgeries. More from ABC's Steve Osinsami. The doctor is charged with tampering and other charges and could get life in prison if he is convicted. He has not yet entered a plea. One big question is why, and investigators say that this doctor started contaminating bags just two days after he learned that he was under investigation for another matter. This is ABC News. The following program is an anchor production, now available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And with that being said, the Ace Balloon Show starts right now. to another edition of Mind Chatter. It is um, April 26th, and uh, I don't know if you tuned in last week or not, but I, uh, I'm going to go in quite a different direction this week than I did last week. Um, uh, this week, I want to get into more of a religious topic. Um, not that I'm uh, going to be trying to give a sermon or something, but... Hey, good morning, Asa. Um, but I'll give you a little, a, a little background. I mean, uh, um, for the people who know me, they know that I I, uh, I know quite a bit about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and um, I did constitutional studies for several years. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was better understand what our founding fathers meant when they wrote certain things in our founding documents and things like that. And in order to understand that, I needed to understand Christianity. So I studied Christianity for several years. Um, and it's kind of <clears throat> during the course of my studies on Christianity that I found some of these, uh, you know, I titled this podcast Biblical Oddities. And I want to, I got two of them that I'm going to share with you today that, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to, not trying to offend anybody if you are of the Christian faith. Pardon me. I personally, I don't subscribe to Christian doctrine. Um, However, I do know quite a bit about the Bible, and I've studied it for, you know, quite a while. Um, However, like I said, there's just a, you know, there's some oddities that I have picked up along the way, and and I would uh, kind of explore them and and research them and and try to answer some questions. And and the... uh, the first one I'm gonna I'm gonna bring into the fold here is uh, it's 
probably a story, even if you're not a Christian believer, it's, it's probably a story that you're familiar with. Um, and it's in uh, the New Testament, John chapter 8, and it's the story about um, where Jesus says, uh, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? So it's, it's about that. <clears throat> about that story so I mean the story is uh, it's about the an adulteress who was brought before Jesus and it, I mean you can read it in John chapter 8 uh, the Pharisees brought the woman to uh, to Jesus and declared that under the law of Moses she should be stoned to death for adultery All right, and they, they asked Jesus uh, you know what, what should we do with her and Jesus didn't say anything and he, and he was uh, purportedly writing something in the dirt with his finger. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so the Pharisees demanded uh, an answer. You know, they're, you know, they're, they were, they were basically hoping to trick Jesus into saying something, you know, or doing something that they could then use against him. So Jesus stood up and he famously said, you know, let he among you who is without sin cast the first stone, right? And as the story goes, he went back to uh, whatever he was scribbling in the dirt with his finger and uh, one by one the accusers of the adulteress went on their way you know leaving the woman with Jesus now hey good morning Jeff um, there are several messages that people have drawn from that story you know one of course you know casting judgment upon another when uh, you've probably done some of the same things right the, the hypocrisy of it and also you know a message of forgiveness you know the insinuation being that you know, one should not necessarily be condemned so harshly, even if the law requires it, you know, essentially just for making a mistake. And, but I thought about Jesus's words, you know, that only the person without sin um, should stand in judgment or, or commence the punishment of someone who has sinned. You know, and, and this might be the part that, that kind of flames Christians, and I don't mean to, I'm just, you know, it was just a study that I did. But after, after Jesus spoke, you know, those kind of famous words, I mean, what caught my attention is what he did immediately after, afterwards, which was he knelt back down and continued writing in the dirt um, with his finger. And, you know, most people would be like, so what? Um, but the question that popped in my head was, I mean, what was that Jesus's way of telling the Pharisees that he himself could not cast a first stone either? I mean, for the same reason. I mean, could could it be that Jesus himself was not actually sinless? Now, again, my apologies to anybody that I might offend by saying that, because you know that is the belief that Jesus is the only the only person to ever exist who is sinless. But I'm going to continue on with that here in a minute. But um. But, I mean, here's how I came to the question. I mean, the official Bible was compiled by men. Um, specifically, it's it's credit to, to Constantine and his scholars at the Council of Nicaea and all that. Um, which means that the, the books of the Bible were selectively chosen, while others were not. Right? And it said that the uh, places like the catacombs beneath the Vatican City hold a lot of... Uh, or if not all of the Gospels that have been found and writings, <clears throat> which might have been considered at Nicaea but discarded or, or excluded somehow. And uh, some of the writing 
paint a much different picture of who Jesus really was, supposedly. All right. And there's other uh, agnostic gospels and apocrypha writings discovered later on that, you know, which of course the, the church doesn't recognize as authentic, but, you know, you know, much less scripture. Um, you know, there's things like the, like the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Judas, um, Thomas, um, and what's referred to as the infant gospels. Um, not very well known, but there, I mean, I got to read a couple of them. Um, in addition, the, the Catholic Bible, um, differs quite a bit in places and has canons that cannot be found in the Christian Bible, you know, such as like the book of Enoch or, uh, you know, like the belief that Lilith, not Eve, was the first woman. So there's, there's differences. But this all goes to help kind of shape my opinion that the, the Christian Bible as we know it, it is um, incomplete, I, I suppose. And I, and I wondered if there were, you know, certain things originally omitted from the Bible's compilation at Nicaea that would help explain Jesus' words and actions about throwing stones at the adulteress, right? So some of the other writings, um, such as, uh, well, there's one called the Lost Gospel of Philip, um, that indicate that Jesus had a much closer relationship with Mary than is commonly believed. Is is uh, I don't know. It's probably it's, I guess it's along the same the same story that was explored in like the Da Vinci Code. If you've ever read that book or seen the movie. <clears throat> There's another book a long time ago that was written called uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, explored the same thing. But it speculated that this relationship was in fact sexual and maybe even produced a child, right? But Christian believers, you know, they, they say, oh, absolutely not. But, I mean, even the Christian doctrine reveals that Jesus did in fact hold Mary in high regard in an era when women were treated pretty poorly for the most part. Um, hey, Leighton, good morning, man. And like I said, don't, don't, don't think this is a, a religious sermon or something. It's not. I'm. I, it's just some weird stuff I found when I studied the Bible. But whether Jesus and Mary were in a physical relationship or not, I mean, we simply don't know one way or the other. I mean, if they were, I mean, could this be why Jesus spoke the words that he did, um, and then did nothing? I mean, was that maybe a clue that he could not cast the first stone because he too had fallen into maybe sexual sin? You know, another <clears throat> another omission from the Bible makes me wonder. I mean, much of Jesus' life is missing in the text. The majority of the scriptures focuses on the period shortly before Jesus was crucified at the age of 33. So there's not a whole lot known about his earlier years. So there's some writings known as the Infant Gospels. Um, again, not officially recognized by the church, which chronicle Jesus' life during the periods when he's absent from the, the Christian perspective. Um, I've only seen a little bit of the Gospels, but um, I did learn one of the <clears throat> one of the bizarre stories, and it tells of uh, how Jesus, as a young boy, um, pushes another child out of like a second story window who falls to his death and then Jesus uses the power of resurrection to bring the boy back to life again 
So, I mean, whether this story is true or not, I mean, we, we'll never know. But, I mean, if it is, even though it's absent from the Bible, I mean, could this help to explain why Jesus spoke those specific words and, that, and then did nothing when confronted with the, the adulteress uh, and, you know, and the Pharisees? <clears throat> I mean, is that the explanation? I mean, if Jesus had condemned the adulteress or, 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 or threw a stone in participation, would he have been hypocritical because he himself was a sinner? I mean, obviously Christians are going to disagree because they believe, like I said, Jesus was the only sinless being to have ever existed. And they, uh, they also believe that every word in the Bible is God-inspired and therefore, you know, pardon the pun, but the gospel truth, right? So, interesting, interesting twist. You know, it's a funny, funny thing about that, that upon doing some research into the story, of casting the first stone, I discovered that um, John chapter 8, which is where you can find that story, was not one of John's original writings. And the story of the adulteress, therefore, was not originally included in the the, the Bible. And I have, a, I have a wonderful study Bible, which has a notation right at the beginning of, John, of uh, John chapter 8, which, I mean, I kid you not, it says... It says the earliest manuscripts do not include seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11, which is that story. So under the footnote for that notation, it says that there is uh, considerable doubt <clears throat> that this story was ever part of the original Gospel of John. Therefore, it's best to view the story as something that, <clears throat> this is a quote, probably happened during Jesus' time. So, and it goes on to say that this uh, this particular story should not be considered part of Scripture and should not be used as building any base for doctrine unless confirmed elsewhere in Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's this point that, that kind of boggled me about the Bible and Christianity. Um, one of the things that's, that's said that helps to authenticate um, the New Testament um, you know, particularly the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the similarities between them, All right? So minor differences are often overlooked, you know, minor discrepancies or what have you, due to the fact that all four authors are consistently telling the same story overall. <clears throat> so it's almost like having, uh, you know, four witnesses to a crime. You know, they might get not give you the exact same details, but they're all pretty close, right? So... The story of the adulteress and, and the casting of the first stone and all that, it, okay, even if it's not in John's original writings, it's also absent from the rest of the Gospels, right? And the rest of the Bible in total. So according to the, you know, the stuff that I've learned in the study Bible and everything else, it should not be considered scripture or doctrine. But the funny thing is, it is considered scripture. You know, and, and as like I said, it's it's considered one of Jesus's most popular teachings. You know, and like everybody's heard of it. <clears throat> and so I have to take into consideration that it, if this story was not in John's original writings, coupled with the fact that none of the other gospels mention the story, then maybe it didn't even happen at all, and it, and it may not even be John's writing at all. And I discovered later on that it was uh, 
it's estimated that it was actually added to scripture about a thousand years after the, after the fact. So it's, I don't know, that's a, that's a tough one to reconcile, I suppose. Um, but the suggestion is that Christians go ahead and just adopt it anyway. You know, the message that I kind of took away from the city was, well, I mean, it sounds like something Jesus would say, so, you know, we'll go ahead and roll with it. No, there's no indication other than uh, roughly a thousand years is, is, you know, as far as when the story may have been first included. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a, probably a religious scholar somewhere that maybe knows the answer. But what I find intriguing is that the fact that Christians pride themselves on believing every story, every parable, every word of the Bible as written. And I've often actually heard it said that if one portion of the Bible is false or incorrect or contradictory, then the remainder of the Bible can also not be trusted. So it's essentially like an all-or-nothing deal. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not trying to, to beat on Christianity. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But these are just some questions that arose within me when I was doing my studies and I was thinking about stuff. And like I said, I'm not out to prove or disprove anything or criticize Christianity or whatever or shake anybody's faith. You know, I just I just had questions. So, I mean, I don't know if the story in John chapter 8 is true or false. I don't know if John actually wrote it or not. I don't know if the other writings about Jesus and Mary or, you know, the Jesus pushing the kid out of the window have any validity to them or not. And I don't know why the story was not included in the original text, so... I don't know why the suggestion would be given to assume credibility of a story that probably happened, but no one apparently wrote about. I mean, it was all just very curious, that's all. I mean, to consider that a famous story in the Bible is not not even supposed to be there, I suppose. Chronicling an event that may not have even happened. So, I, you know, just bizarre. You know, also to consider that Jesus himself may have been a sinner... I mean, if you want to look at it from that lens, which possibly stopped him from condemning the woman for her sexual sin and participating in her murder, which would have been legal at the time under Mosaic law. You know, I mean, maybe he just figured it was bad enough that he sinned himself, lest he be uh, a hypocrite as well. I don't know. Well, that was the first one. And I found another one a while back. I mean, this is not... It's not something that I, you know, personally uncovered. I, I was, again, doing more biblical studies a while back, and uh, I actually I actually came across a debate that I had not heard before. And this one, this one is a lot more important than the one I just mentioned. Um, because this one here, it's... Uh, I mean, it strikes right at the very heart, the very foundation of Christianity. And, uh, again, I'm not trying to, you know, get anybody upset here, but this is just something I came across, and I thought it was very, very odd. And uh, what it has to do with is uh, um, the uh, prophecy in the Old Testament, Isaiah 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Um and how it relates to the Immaculate Conception and, and Virgin Birth of Jesus. Now, let's see, how do I want to 
to start this or um well the way that the way that the debate was kind of laid out was that like uh um the anxiousness and the schizophrenia that you know, like we americans have about sex in general i mean it's kind of an atheistic debate i suppose but as they say it stems from a mistranslation or a misinterpretation of the of the uh, Old Testament biblical prophecy in Isaiah, which is uh, you know said to have see, foreseen the birth of the Savior Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> the debate is that one single word, virgin, is misinterpreted in Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. And here's the passage. It says, "It says the virgin shall conceive a son and bear a son." And shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay. So about 700 years later, in the Gospel of Matthew, um, the New Testament, um, writes of Mary's immaculate conception while he while she was a virgin. You know, it, the passage says Joseph is appalled at the pregnancy and seeks to uh, kind of quietly break his engagement to her um, until an angel, I think it's supposed to be Gabriel appears to him in a dream and explains the situation and tells um, tells Joseph to name the baby Jesus. So in Matthew, it's chapter 1, verse 25, it said, But Joseph did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Okay, now, it's, it's important to point out that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. Right, so what I had to do was kind of do a, um, a, a a bilingual word study, and so the the uh, let's see the word virgin is described a lot differently in Hebrew. Uh, the word is alma, and it more specifically refers to a young maiden, unmarried. And most likely a virgin, though not necessarily. Now the word in Greek um, is, is parthenos, which is more in keeping with the way we would understand it today. To be a virgin, you know, somebody who has just never had any kind of sexual relations. So this debate um, actually falls upon the proper definition of that word. And it actually has profound implications on the, like, the very foundation of Christianity because it I mean, the Immaculate Conception is a pretty big deal in Judeo-Christian belief, right? That's the whole basis of the whole doctrine. So if the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah is reread to include the original Hebrew definition of Alma, it, it would really change the verse uh, quite significantly. And it would be something like, The young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. Well... I mean, that's quite a difference than than the way that it was read before. I mean, young women get pregnant all the time. Some even name their sons Emmanuel. I mean, there's nothing really remarkable about that. You know, even if Isaiah's, you know, quote-unquote prophecy did come true. It's kind of like saying that, I mean, a tree will blow over in a storm this winter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably, you know. So some girl's going to have a kid and name him Emmanuel. Um, all right. <laughs> you know, like I said, it's not very remarkable. But if you do 
what Matthew did 700 years later and apply the Greek version of virgin, <clears throat> Parthenos, to the old Hebrew prophecy in Isaiah, well, that makes for a much more exciting claim, right? And that would be the foretelling of the Immaculate Conception. So that's the debate, I mean, kind of in a nutshell. Besides opposing views on the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on the interpretation of virgin, I mean, there's also some debate, you know, as to whether Isaiah even meant for that prophecy to apply outside of his own lifetime. You know, during my research on the debate, I saw an oddity between the two Bible passages in Isaiah and Matthew that I couldn't really find any mention of anywhere else. But Isaiah's prophecy says that the virgin shall name the baby Emmanuel, which translated means um, God is with us. And the verse in Matthew says that Joseph named the baby, more specifically the angel named the baby Jesus, which means the Lord saves. So you have God is with us versus the Lord saves. So it's, it kind of brings up a question. I mean, for Isaiah's prophecy to rightfully be declared accurate, wouldn't Mary have had to name Jesus Emmanuel instead? Hmm. I mean, that, that, as it stands, despite the discrepancy that, that I'm talking about here, I mean, Isaiah's prophecy is believed and deemed fulfilled by Christian believers, and, and thus the virgin birth is considered a real event. So, I mean, I think... This is, I don't know, it's like, it's, I don't know, like I said, I, I, uh, I, I believe Jesus existed, I believe he was a, a real person, a real figure in our history, and so, um, my, my personal, you know, spiritual adventure, I, I don't, I, I have trouble adopting organi organized Christianity, I mean, there's just too many things that I, I have trouble with. These are just a couple of the smaller ones, really. I have a whole bunch of them that I've uncovered, but... <clears throat> um, I mean, that's just one of the things. Like I said, I mean... Um, I don't know. It seems to me that... Uh, faith is a, is a funny thing, you know? I mean, it, it allows people to overlook a lot of things. You know, and I mean, I like I like facts, I like certainty, I like evidence, and there's just a lot of things. And not, I don't like I said, I don't want to just pick on Christianity because there's other religions that have discrepancies and oddities in them as well. But these are a couple of, of pretty big ones, I would think. Uh, you know, there's, you know, and maybe it's just the way I'm reading them. You know, and like I said, I don't want to offend nobody, I don't want to do nothing like that. But I was. That was kind of what I wanted to bring to you today. I mean, some some critical thinking, I guess, some word studies. Um, eventually, I'll probably do another podcast on a couple more that I've found over the years. But, I mean, that's kind of where I want to leave it today. You know, kind of a short podcast, but, yeah, I don't know, something to think about. A little food for thought. So, that's where I'm going to leave it. So everybody take care. Have a wonderful Sunday. This is CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Rocket Mortgage. I'm Peter King in Orlando. When Russian troops moved out of northeastern Ukraine, 
Local officials say they left behind hundreds of bodies buried in mass graves, with some showing signs of torture. Correspondent Deborah Pata is in Izium, Ukraine. We're here in Izium where a grim discovery has been made. Dozens upon dozens of bodies, people buried in shallow graves, some of them killed by Russian artillery, others have been executed. The war crimes prosecutors have arrived. They will now go through and begin this terrible task of identifying and exhuming all the bodies here in this huge forest area where it seems Russians used as a mass dumping ground for those killed. The long line for mourners to pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth was supposed to reopen an hour ago. It didn't. CBS's Steve Futterman. Throughout most of the day, the lines were closed. They were just too long. At the time they were shut down, they were nearly five miles in length. The wait time for those just joining was more than 14 hours. Many of those who hoped to queue up were disappointed, like this woman. We just arrived, I think, a couple of minutes after they closed the gate. That's life. And with the weekend approaching and people off work, the number of people wanting to walk past the coffin is only expected to grow. Steve Futterman, CBS News, outside Westminster Abbey in London. Dozens of migrants who were flown to Martha's Vineyard on planes paid for by the state of Florida are headed to a military base on Cape Cod. Governor Charlie Baker says the move is voluntary as he thanks island residents who took care of the migrants. Governor Ron DeSantis was the latest Southern Republican governor to send migrants to Democratic areas. Anyone hoping to fly in or out of France or anywhere within the country today is in for a travel nightmare. Air traffic controllers have walked off the job. CBS's Elaine Cobb. More than a thousand international and domestic flights have been cancelled as air traffic controllers strike over pay and staffing levels. Several regional airports have closed for the day. Fast trains in and out of Paris today and tomorrow are all full since airlines started cancelling flights two days ago. Thousands more flights are delayed here and across Europe as other countries feel the knock-on effect. Elaine Cobb, CBS News, on a high-speed train out of Paris. Tropical storm warnings are up for the Leeward Islands, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands as Fiona pushes west. Weather Channel meteorologist Stephanie Abrams says it'll be a rainmaker. We're talking four to six inches. Locally, we could see some 10 to 15 inches of rain. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 297 points. The NASDAQ has lost 170. This is CBS News. If you guys enjoyed that episode, do me a favor. Leave me a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or however many stars you think I deserve, and until next time, I will catch your asses down the road.